All right, we are back. Without a really uh, clear-cut plan as to how we're going to tackle this volume of material lying before us, uh, we're just going to jump in, I think. But a lot of what sort of stacks up sometimes is, let's just say, maybe the not-such-good-news file. But you know, it's stuff that probably should be talked about, so let's talk about it. Starting with this questionable item from The Week magazine. Um, The Washington Post reported last week that they're could be a new device to help people who are obese in their battle with weight. The FDA has approved this device, which places an electronic pulse generator in your abdomen to stimulate your vagus nerve to trick your body into thinking it's full. It's called, and I'm not making this up, the Maestro Rechargeable System. And doesn't that sound like something you'd see on late night TV? I don't know. I certainly have doubts about something being stuck in your abdomen that stimulates your vagus nerve, which, you know, is important for deciding when you're full, send signals to the brain, etc. But, uh, boy, I just, I just have my doubts about this one. Uh, the studies they did on it showed that the people in the implanted group lost 8.5% more weight than people in the control group, which doesn't sound very dramatic. But I guess if you're morbidly obese and can't lose weight any other way, then I guess this might be one useful new tool to have in the tool chest. And by the way, before we get too deeply embedded in some of these items of questionable positivity, shall we say, there's one humorous item that I do need to report on, which is a uh, statistic from Mental Floss Magazine's December issue, which notes that, in fact, coyotes outpace roadrunners by 23 miles per hour. Yeah, so how is it in those Chuck Jones cartoons that Roadrunner always manages to get away from the coyote? Yeah, we know. Artistic license. And we hope uh, as the weeks roll by to return to the story of the vote at UC Davis and other UC campuses to divest from corporations doing business with Israel. It's curious that both sides in this, both uh, Islamic students and those who support Israel, have pointed the finger at the other side in being uh, abusive and threatening. When we find some appropriate people to talk about this topic, we're going to do so. But in the meantime, we do note that occasional comedian Roseanne Barr, according to the Sacramento Bee, did briefly tweet before deleting it that, quote, I hope all the Jews leave UC Davis and then it gets nuked, unquote. And no, Radio Parallax has no news on whether this particular threat has been reported to the Department of Homeland Security. Probably not, because as far as we know, Roseanne Barr does not actually have access to nuclear weapons, which, frankly, we think is something to be grateful for. Radio Parallax is also unaware whether anyone has let Roseanne Barr know about the Maestro rechargeable system. But we do think that, frankly, Roseanne's vagus nerve probably could use a little stimulation now and again. Now, we started to report in this program a few weeks back about the page three girls of the uh, Rupert Murdoch publications, like, I guess it's The Sun over in the UK, abandoning their longstanding policy of having a topless woman on page three. Well, it's a good thing we didn't rush out to report that news because it would have been premature. According to The Economist, for days, well-sourced... For days, well-sourced reports had indicated that the Sun newspaper, bought by Rupert Murdoch in 1969, had at last bowed to political pressure and dropped its topless page three pictures. But they turned out to be a bust. On January 22nd, readers opened their papers to find Nicole, 22, from Bournemouth, nipples waving proudly in the wind. The Economist noted, this is proof, if any were needed, 
of the sheer cussedness of the Murdoch empire and hints at the savage competition in the British newspaper industry. Sensing weakness and arrival, the smaller, cruder Daily Star had proudly rebranded its topless pictures as Page 3. And as this story develops, Radio Parallax will try to keep abreast of developments. You know, we enjoy taking uh, pot shots at uh, the paid flax who sometimes manage to get their opinion pieces into the Sacramento Bee and, and other places. The Bee is our local paper, so we tend to rely on it quite a lot. The McClatchy News Organization, on the whole, is pretty good. They were one of the very few in this country that stood up to the nonsense involved in the ramp-up to the Iraq War back in 2003. They were at least asking the questions of whether this all wasn't a bunch of BS, this whole thing about weapons of mass destruction which I think, frankly, is more than we can say for the New York Times, with Judith Miller, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I had to laugh at the, the Another View in the Bee by, by Dave Quast, who was described as the California Director of Energy In-Depth, a public outreach project of the California Independent Petroleum Association. Mr. Quast's headline was, Judge Fracking on Science, Not Hype. Well, thank you, Mr. Quast. We'll try and do exactly that. The idea of busting through various strata in shale and other places to find trapped gas, which also then allows water to leak into these uh, strata and then have gas contaminate these water, etc. But it just, just strikes us as something that's possibly a bad idea. And, and by the way, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend an event last week with the legendary Peter Dale Scott talking about his new book, Deep State. Secret Government, CIA, FEMA, and the Doomsday Network. Peter Dale Scott has agreed to speak with us on this program about this very book, so it was kind of nice seeing someone else asking him some questions, which I took copious notes, which will hopefully benefit our interview. But the questioner was David Talbot, the founder of Salon.com. We've been privileged to have David Talbot on this program as well. Having spoken to Peter Dale Scott, it was kind of a, well, not a unique thing, but a very cool thing to have the, both the questioner and questionee up on the dais be previous guests of this program. Peter Dale Scott always has an interesting perspective on things, and when he was asked about Ukraine, he said that he thought perhaps the oil companies may be agitating for this uh, strife that's developing between Ukraine and Russia, noting that they perhaps may look to the future and have American gas and oil replace, to some degree, that of Russia, that from Russia in supplying Europe. The sanctions against Russia from the U.S. and the European Union certainly are uh, starting to bite and cause a lot of trouble there. And a destabilization of Russia and a collapse of their economy in the grand scheme of things, folks, just can't be a good deal for the world. And we're not trying to defend Vladimir Putin. He's a bad guy. On the other hand, the area that's being uh, fought over in eastern Ukraine and Crimea, etc., it was historically always considered part of Russia rather than Ukraine. We noted on this program, as of many news agencies around the, the world, that um, in fact it was back in the 50s when uh, Crimea was deeded over to Ukraine by Nikita Khrushchev, possibly while he was drunk. Boy, and I got to pause for a minute and talk about thinking about a drunk Soviet premier and a doomsday network and think, man, maybe Dr. Strangelove was a documentary. David Talbot did note that Daniel Ellsberg, who was present in the audience, does call Dr. Strangelove a documentary. 
when they were up there talking about the doomsday network, which is what we actually have in place, ladies and gentlemen, to create a new government, to ensure a continuity of government or COG in case of an emergency, uh, which, by the way, we actually have in place in America since September 11th, 2001. With all that talk about the doomsday network, I did have a flash of George C. Scott sitting there in the war room in the movie saying, gosh, I sure wish we had one of them doomsday machines. Anyway, we do plan to have David Talbot back on in fall when his new book about Alan Dulles and the JFK assassination comes out. Peter, we hope to have on next month or the month after. But uh, let's go back to some bad ideas. How about, how about this one? The state of California has apparently okayed the pumping of oil waste back into the ground. Peace in the Sacramento Bee, February 6th by Ellen Nickmeyer, noted that regulators in California, the country's third largest oil-producing state, have authorized oil companies to inject production fluids and waste into what are now federally protected aquifers more than 2,500 times, risking contamination of underground water supplies that could be used for drinking water or irrigation, state records show. Well, you just have to pause at this point and say, yeah, what could possibly go wrong with this idea? Nick Myers' piece notes that while some of the permits go back decades, an Associated Press analysis found that nearly half of those injection wells, 46%, were permitted or began injection in the last four years under Jerry Brown, who has pushed state oil and gas regulators to speed up the permitting process. And this has happened despite warnings from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency since 2011 that state regulators were failing to do enough to shield groundwater reserves from the threat of oil field pollution. You know, I just, again, I have to pause here and reflect back on when I was in the ninth grade, a freshman in high school, which was about the same time environmentalism was really taking off in this country. And my science teacher, Mr. Null, was talking about how there were people out there that want to just take horrible toxins and inject them back down into the ground. I remember our class of ninth graders was horrified and thought, what a terrible idea. And of course, it is. Attention, Governor Jerry Brown. Let's take a look at these stats. Of the 2,553 injection wells that the state has identified as risking contamination of protected aquifers, 1,172 were approved by the state or began injection in the last four years since Brown took office. Jerry Brown certainly likes to talk up being an environmentalist. But we'd have to note that the reality is something else again. We have to note with some amusement uh, the the, uh, suspension of Brian Williams by NBC, which is to last six months over his apparent uh, conflating of information about whether he was actually in the chopper that had been downed by an RPG while in Iraq. I do have to confess that once being given a tour of NBC Studios, I did sit in Brian Williams' chair. And this perhaps led me to conflate an event of my own life, uh, which unfortunately I reported on this program incorrectly, and it's time for me to come clean on this. Contrary to what I reported on this program some years back, I in fact did not go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. I have conflated the fact that some other people have gone over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and I in fact have visited Niagara Falls. Radio Parallax apologizes for any confusion that may have resulted by my inadvertent misreporting. Oh, and also, I I did not, in fact, go out on a date 
with porn legend Christy Canyon. Um, Christy did at one point have lunch with me, but so did her husband. And by the way, if you did not catch our series of interviews we did with the future star of Playboy Radio, we do know it rather proudly that we believe we can say that Christy got her start on radio with us. You can find those in our archives at radioparallax.com. You should be able to find this as a podcast wherever it is you receive your podcasts, like iTunes. All right, back to some questionable ideas. This, 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 this notion that we're going to fix global warming, not by stopping the excessive emissions of carbon dioxide, but, but by geoengineering planet Earth, has to rank pretty high on the dumbass idea list. Peace and New Scientist by Michael Marshall, January 3rd issue, talks about uh, some of these harebrained schemes. Noted Marshall, some of these schemes, referring to the geoengineering, sound like the plans of Bond villains, such as flooding California's Death Valley or nuking the Isthmus of Panama. The article then listed seven possible ideas and uh, rated them in terms of feasibility, also what benefits they may bring, and their downsides. Among them, damming the Indian Ocean, uh, also damming the Atlantic Ocean, um, also joining Asia and North America. Do I need to even analyze these? I don't think so, but I I do have to cite maybe the dumbest one of all, which is nuking the Isthmus of Panama. According to the piece, if you destroyed the Isthmus, that slender strip of land that joins North and South America, we would then reunite the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. And they note that, you know, you could, you could accomplish this with some underground nuclear explosions. With, with the land gone down there, the ocean currents would, that once flowed around the equator would restart and allegedly stabilize the climate. It's noted this idea is unlikely to be popular in Panama. To which they add, what's more, some climate scientists think the closure of the gap three million years ago forced warm water in the tropical Atlantic to flow north, increasing humidity and snowfall in the Arctic, leading to the formation of the great northern ice sheet. So if you nuke the isthmus, perhaps it would hasten the loss of the Greenland ice sheet. Ooh, let's, let's just take a pause here, take a deep breath. There's also a piece in uh, The Economist about this exact topic, Geoengineering the Climate, December 13th issue, 2014. These ideas here are a little bit less insane. They do cite the 1990... Uh, proposal by John Latham, a cloud physicist. The idea was you could create more clouds and thus reflect more sunlight by uh, wafting tiny sea salt particles up into the atmosphere to form cloud condensation nuclei. I don't know, maybe, maybe that idea has got some merit. I do note that it is February currently, and that for some reason, I note that when you look up in the sky during the month of February, for some reason, Contrails seem much more obvious. Not sure why this is, but I've noticed it year after year. And I, I first caught on to this while riding a motorcycle around the countryside and noting again and again, oh, all of a sudden the temperature would drop a degree. When you're on a motorcycle, you can notice a thing like that. And I would always look up and note that a contrail from a passing jet was now in front of the sun. It was observed in the wake of the 9-11 attacks in this country, and at which time jet travel was grounded for three straight days. There was apparently a rise in temperatures of about three degrees. So if my memory serves me correctly on this, all those contrails from all those jets flying coast to coast and all across North America actually does keep the temperature down a hair. 
Still, we think the obvious solution of this is a carbon tax so that people can burn less carbon. This whole thing about fracking and having cheaper oil and <sighs> inspiring idiots to go out and start buying SUVs again. This, this, this is all going the wrong direction. All right, we need to take a break. <laughs> we can only do so much of this sort of questionable news item stuff without sort of feeling a little down in the mouth. We do note that this giant scheme to reconfigure downtown Sacramento to build a, an arena for the benefit of the millionaires that own the Sacramento Kings, and I guess all the assorted idiots that care about the Sacramento Kings. Well, that's all running into some trouble. The lawsuits are biting. The city's having to spend a million plus dollars to defend, it from, defend itself from this, and the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. The city employed eminent domain to take Macy's out of the equation and finally decided they were going to pay them $12 million uh, last year. We know that Cosmo Garvin at the Sacramento News and Review and others have been digging around as to, you know, what this whole thing is really going to cost and what it's really going to, going to, do, what really going to do to the downtown. And it also does not pass the smell test. The worst part about this, perhaps, is all the skullduggery that was involved in keeping the ballot initiative Perhaps the worst part of all the skullduggery associated with this, uh, this giant fiasco was uh, the effort put into keeping a vote away from the public. We note that there were numerous petitions out to, to require a vote on this to, for public approval, and the powers that be knew it was not going to pass. So they threw out all the signatures and said, though, they just wasn't done right, and, and well, we don't believe it. Let's close with an item from the archives. This is from the August 6, 2010 issue of the Sacramento Bee. An editorial referring to the fact that Mayor Kevin Johnson apparently saw no conflict in having Angelo Sakopoulos, our local big developer, host his wedding. Noted the Bee, entitlements granted or denied a municipality can make a landowner wealthy or in arrears. So by agreeing to hold his reception at the developer's home, Johnson has put himself in a position in which, in the future, he may be asked to decide on city permits that could benefit his wedding host. And yeah, frankly, here at Radio Parallax, we suggest this may have had something to do with the approval of the powers that be in the city, not only of the arena, but of the McKinley Village development, which Angelo Sakopoulos and his stooge, Phil Angelides, managed to get rolling. did want to note with some glee that when I drove past this construction site, I noted that they lost, I don't know, a million or two dollars from the fact that they decided to go out and grade the land, gambling that it would not rain just before the torrential rain struck in December. Geez, too bad, fellas. We need to take a break. Stay tuned. We got more in segment three.